Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play! Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to another Camel Clutch Cinema. This is the show where we talk about movies that either star wrestlers or feature wrestling in the plot. And today we're going to be talking about the movie Mystery in Bermuda. Craig Cohen, are you ready for some luchador action? I am so ready to get lost in this movie. This is a crazy, crazy movie. 1979 this came out. I got some interesting info on this. First thing, the title is... Mysterio en las Bermudas. It's also known as Mystery in Bermuda and Mystery in the Bermuda Triangle. And I got some some information on when it was released, 1979, August 16th in Mexico City. It got an authorization of A, which I don't know what that means at all. Mm-hmm. And it ran for five weeks, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Although, I, from what I understand, this was not a huge success. This was at the tail end of the Luchador films, and we'll talk about that later on. Uh, it was also released in Spain on April 30th of 1980, where it, it apparently did not do well and drew 12,000 spectators. They actually count individual people, and apparently that was a mediocre number. Not unspeakably bad, but not a good one. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the director and writer. Uh, it was directed uh, by uh, Gilberto Martinez Solares. And I guess he had help from a brother or an uncle or a cousin. Adolfo Martinez Solares. Uh, they wrote the story uh, together. We don't use Adolfo anymore. No. Since Adolf, that's been, uh, since yeah. Hitler, that's been thrown out. Why don't you give me the plot summary off the back of the DVD, and then we'll talk about the DVD, and then we'll talk about these three wrestlers that star in this film. All right. Princess Zobelda of Iran asks Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaris for help. She's about to sign an extremely advantageous trade agreement for her country and fears that someone will try to kill her to impede it. In fact, a band of ruffians tries at all costs to sabotage the treaty and kill the princess. The masked heroes confront a thousand dangers in order to defeat the villains. Zobelda is saved, the treaty is signed, and everything is peaceful. Or so it seems. <laughs> All right. So this stars El Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaris. The DVD has Blue Demon on the cover. I couldn't wait to get this because I had always wanted to see some of these luchador films. And yeah. this one came out right after Nacho Libre. Uh, actually, I think right before it came out in theaters, but right around the time that this movie, that Nacho Libre was really big, yeah. this came out. And it says right on the cover, <laughs> inspiration for the film Nacho Libre starring Jack Black. Yep. It's a double feature, Champions of Justice, which is the craziest lucha film I think I've ever seen. And I've seen a handful of lucha films. And that is absolute. This movie is sedate by, by standards set by that film. Oh, definitely. I, I, I don't even think you have to qualify 
Champions of Justice as being crazy for a lucha film or the yeah. craziest lucha film. It's one of the craziest films ever. Yeah, you're totally right. So it's a, it's a, a DVD set called Lucha Libre. Very um, misleading. I don't think that if you if you like Nacho Libre, I don't know that this is going to appeal to you in any way. No, you don't really see any signs of inspiration aside from the fact that there are wrestlers wearing masks. Right. I, I mean, from what I understand, uh, the maker of Nacho Libre was a fan of the Santo movies and, and, you know, Blue Demon and all that. And and maybe, you know, maybe not even watch them, maybe just saw them on TV as a little kid or something and wanted to make a film about that, you know, that concept and that feel and and then succeeded. I really enjoy Nacho Libre. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But it it's a comedy. And these these are not intentional comedies. No, not by any stretch. The three stars are El Santo, who is called Saint in the film because they they translate his name from El Santo, the subtitle then says Saint, which sure, you know, that's correct, mm -hmm. but he's El Santo. That's his name. That's not, you know what I mean? It's, his oh, yeah. name shouldn't be translated. No. Um, they, they, in, in, in Mexico, they also call the, the movie The Saint with Val Kilmer El Santo. So I don't know <laughs> there's any confusion. Uh, Blue Demon is Blue Demon. They don't, they don't translate it into Spanish. It's, you know, cause they went with the English blue demon, but Mil Mascaris is thousand masks. Every time in this movie, when they say his name, they're like, well, the saint and thousand masks were here with blue demon. I love that name. Yeah, it's really weird. But so Mil Mascaris apparently means thousand masks. And that was, he was known for having a different mask every time he wrestled. So let's That's talk impressive, about actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I bet he didn't though. I bet he had like 12 masks. <laughs> I bet, you know, the, the thought was you wouldn't see him with the same mask for long enough that you'd forget it. And then when you, yeah. you know, there weren't DVDs or anything, so you couldn't mm -hmm. slow mo it. And so you'd be like, well, I think we saw one like that, but this one's probably different, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about these three luchadors. Okay. Tell me about Blue Demon. All right. Blue Demon um, went by the name Alejandro Munez Moreno. Outside he the was, ring, that was him. That was what yes. people would call him, possibly. Yes. He was I, born uh, April 24th, 1922, and he passed away on December 16th, 2000. He's widely considered to be one of the greatest Mexican wrestlers of his time period. Uh, he was affectionately referred to as Blue and was known for his signature blue wrestling mask. Yeah. He was actually buried in his trademark blue mask and the mask he never removed in public as he always kept his true identity yes. a secret and so and this was somewhat common with these guys uh el santo on the other hand born september 23rd 1917 died february 5th 1984 a month before he died he was on television and he pulled his mask up and you can see that on on youtube right now if you if you look for it, you'll find it. He was on a, a talk show, and, and he said he wanted to say goodbye to his fans, pulled the mask up, said goodbye, and put it back down, and then he, he passed away you know, a few months later. Uh, but he was a huge star. El Santo was the biggest of the three of these guys in terms of filmmaking. Everybody knew him. He was as big as Hulk Hogan overseas, and a couple of his films came to the U.S. They were translated uh, and dubbed at the time, and, and he, his character was named Samson, because Saint, they thought, was no good. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, these guys are superheroes in this film. Yeah. So, and they're treated as such. 
Oh, very much so. I mean, these are superhero films. If you're, if you watch these, these are closer to, you know, like your, you know, 1970s Christopher Reeve Superman films than just about anything else. These are mm -hmm. really interesting films. So El Santo, huge star, real name Rodolfo Guzman Huerta. And, uh, he wrestled for many years. He, he retired in 1984 and died in 1984. So really, uh, didn't have any retirement, but had such a legacy and is still known today. His son, Hijo del Santo, uh, wrestles today and his son is a better wrestler than him, but is not as famous as him and doesn't have the charisma. A lot of people say, um, and I mean, I guess, you know, when you're the son of the star, you know, and you're, you're wearing the mask, I guess there's not, you know, you can, you can do a lot more flippy moves, but I mean, yeah. you know, somebody did it first Yeah. and that's how it goes. Mil Mascaris, I recently saw him. I, I got a chance to get my picture taken with him. And I also got to see him get inducted into the hall of fame at this past WrestleMania the night before when they did the big hall of fame event, Alberto Del Rio, who is uh, his nephew. His father was a very famous uh, luchador who who wrestled by the name of Dos Caras. And originally, Alberto Del Rio was Dos Caras Jr. And uh, Alberto Del Rio inducted him. Mil Mascaris gave a crazy speech about, <laughs> you know, talking about being married to uh, – and he said he got married in Japan to a Japanese woman. Then he got married in Texas to an American. Never seemed to explain why he had two wives. You know, really weird, funny speech. Uh, seemed very happy to be getting into the Hall of Fame and was a very famous luchador, was also in a handful of wrestling films, about 20 of them, and, and I think still is working on one. I think if you go to his IMDb page, there's one or two in, in post-production, but he's an older man at this point. I, I can't imagine there's that much uh, left in the tank, but hey, you know what? If you got it, keep going. Yeah, and he's one of those wrestlers that if you pick up a – uh, a biography or an autobiography of, of a wrestler who came up in the probably mid to late 80s, early 90s. They'll tell a story or two about Mill in their book. Well, the thing about Mill Mascaris apparently is he doesn't like to sell moves that he doesn't feel he should sell. Mm -hmm. His reason for this, uh, guys like Chris Jericho, uh, I think you're alluding to, and, and other guys have mm -hmm. said that, you know, hey, I hit him with a drop kick and he didn't sell it. Yeah. And, so their their rationale is he he's he no sells a lot of moves that may be true. His reason on it, he says, if it looks like it didn't hurt, I'm not selling it. Yeah, so, which is a great philosophy, and yeah, and I think I just, he also oh, you, I'm sorry. you never know with wrestling who's spinning. So it, yeah. I think there's a lot of spinning going on on both sides on that. But yeah, and I also think it's a it's a cultural difference too. I mean, it's all wrestling as I as the Iron Sheik would say, yeah. but wrestling in Mexico is different than wrestling in Japan or here in the states. Absolutely, this movie though came out in 1979. Interesting to look at the year in film 1979. The top ten films were. And I, I'm going to read these out to you. This blew my mind when I looked at these. Okay. Number 10, Moonraker, James Bond film. This is the James Bond Star Wars. <laughs> Great films, got Jaws in it, but it's a wacky, stupid James Bond film. Yeah. The Jerk, number nine, very funny film. Didn't expect it to be one of the top 10 films of the year, but hey. Number eight was 10. <laughs> which is a little weird, but that was the, the film with Bo Derek on the beach. Yeah. Seven was the Muppet movie. Number six was Alien. Number wow, and that's that's a movie I would think Alien would be 
the best I, I, film of the year, you think, box office-wise, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. But it's number six. Then we got Star Trek The Motion Picture, Apocalypse Now. Number three was Rocky II. Okay. Number two was Amityville Horror. And then if you gave me a million dollars, I couldn't come up with number one. I swear to you, this is the strangest thing. So all of those movies I mentioned, Moonraker, The Jerk, The Muppet Movie, Alien, Star Trek, The Motion Picture, Rocky II, Amityville Horror, number one was Kramer versus Kramer. That's that's amazing. And another funny thing, looking at this list of films that you just read, all of those films, you could feasibly turn on the TV this weekend and see one of them yeah playing on either cable or on on on, on a on one of your tv channels kramer versus kramer not so much no no i mean you know it's it's not a film that is very well remembered i because i read this started watching it today i haven't finished it but i started watching it today i enjoyed it i've never seen it before mm-hmm. cannot tell you for the life of me why this was the highest grossing film of the year it, I, and that movie kramer versus kramer it does have a, a very, very little, uh, a very, very small wrestling connection in the sense that the little boy gets a crimson mask at one point. Yes, he does. He falls off, falls off the, uh, the jungle gym and lands face first on the ground and, and busts his eyeball up. And Dust, Dustin Hoffman's worried he's going to lose his eye. Uh, but he doesn't. Instead, he just, you know, he just sells it well. That's all I remember from that movie, which I saw in theaters, um, which could which could date me a little bit or age me a little bit. But I was actually a lot younger than I probably should have been to go, be going to see Kramer vs. <laughs> there Kramer. is nudity in that movie. There's a there's a great scene where the where the girlfriend gets out of bed totally naked, walks into the hallway and sees the little boy. And he looks at her and he's like, do you like fried chicken? And she's like, I love fried chicken. He's like, we should get fried chicken sometime. And then he just leaves and goes to the bathroom. And, you know, he just no cells are being new yeah. you know, I guess he was surprisingly just... i do not remember the naked woman but i remember the bloody face <laughs> somebody reached their hands over your eyes at that point <laughs> stuffed a bu- bucket of popcorn in your face you know i might have even been in the lobby at that point too yeah. i used to do that a lot all right so this movie i want to kind of talk about every scene in this movie because it is very unusual and it's it's a little hard to to digest the film starts out with this periscope that comes out of the water and it causes a big storm and yeah. it causes a plane to disappear in a storm. <laughs> and then we see a guy drinking milk, reading the newspaper. His name's Anselmo. And we'll see him. He does kind of a wraparound around the movie. And the next day, he meets up with a younger kid. And the the two of them wear their shorty shorts. You know, <laughs> Anselmo has really short shorts. The kid has pink short shorts. And they go fishing and he's like, oh, did you see the storm? And the kid's like, no, I didn't see any storm. And he's like, yeah. He's like, what'd you have for dinner last night? He's like, octopus. And he's like, that's why I always have nightmares when I eat octopus. And at that moment, I was like, this is a great movie. I don't think this movie can get better. But it does. Because what does he pull out of the water? But Santo's mask. Mm -hmm. He catches Santo's mask on a hook. And and I, I can't imagine that there would be an occasion where I went fishing and that happened and I would be disappointed. <laughs> so at this point, the rest of the movie is a flashback. Am I right on this? Yes, yes. He says um, something to the effect of the last time these guys were seen or it happened a long time ago. And then we go into flashback. Yes. And so we see them wrestling. We see a, a big wrestling match with El Santo or the Saint, Thousand mm-hmm. Masks and Blue Demon wrestling against the killer jackals of the ring. 
And it's a and, long match. This is like a 10-minute match we get in here. It's a great match, and you know you get to see that that high energy lucha style, and you also get to see one of the classiest looking refs of of all time. <laughs> I mean, oh. this guy he's got the white button down shirt on and the and the bow tie, just a real classy look that I guess existed in wrestling for quite some time, but you know it's not until you see it that you miss it. Yeah, exactly. They looked like refs, so. At this point, we see all the luchas outside of the ring. They're relaxing by the pool, but they all have their masks on. <laughs> and this is a theme throughout this movie. There's very few scenes where there's a lucha shown in any way without their mask on. I mean, these guys are wearing their masks regardless of what they're doing. The mask is on. Yeah. I found a quote from Rogelio Angarces Jr. And I may have mispronounced that, but I don't think he's listening. Mm-hmm. And he said... Without the mask, he was just Rodolfo, speaking of El Santo. Um, he said that when he had the costume on, he was El Santo. He was in Mysterio en las Bermudas, which my dad was filming in Texas. See, this guy, his dad was the producer mm-hmm. of a couple of these films, including this one. And he says, my brother and I were driving him and Mel Mascaris up in, from Mexico into Texas. As we were approaching the Texas border, my brother told them that they had to take their masks off when we went through customs. Santo was very leery and told my brother, okay, but don't look back. That's how secretive he was. Gotta love it. Which I just think is awesome. So, yeah, he uh, to go through customs, he had to had to take the mask off. But nobody was to turn around. They said that when he would film movies or, or travel with the other wrestlers, he would travel separate. So let's say they all left at noon. He would he would fly, you know, at two or the day before so that he could fly without his mask. And nobody would say, hey, that guy, he's with all the other guys. And we didn't see him wrestle. You know, yeah. that guy must be Santo. So he would kind of, that's how he just mixed, you know, in like he was a businessman. Mm-hmm. Now, was this the scene um, where they're, where they're all outside? Do they, uh, do they have a toast? Do they, do they drink at the end of the scene? Of course they do. <laughs> Cause I, this actually has, has, has entered um, the top 10 uh, of my bucket list of things to do before <laughs> I, I leave this mortal coil. <laughs> you want to have a toast with a luchador or you want to be the luchador? Uh, I would like to have a toast with 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 multiple luchadors. That's right. I love it. I love it. So the luchadors hear that there's this mission they're going to have to go on. Then they hear about this plane crash on the radio, and we see the periscope go up. We see another storm, and we see Anselmo out on his boat. So this is flashback Anselmo, right? Mm-hmm. Out yeah, on yeah. his boat, falls off his boat is in the water with a shark, and I swear to you, I was so expecting Lucha vs. Shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But instead, How could you they, not? Yeah, instead they rescue him, and we go to the hotel where we get a meeting with these political guys who I thought were bad guys. <laughs> yes. They've got like a case of money. They've got a couple bodyguards with big turbans, you know, yeah. uh, uh, big ones too. The ones, you know, the, the ones that these are definitely costume. This is not what these guys wore to the set that day. This is, mm-hmm. you know, from some costume shop, you know, from some, you know, Bombay play that the musical that was going on. Yeah. Um, but so they get this, this thing that they're going to have to guard Princess Sobedia. 
mm-hmm. and uh, that there's another country threatening to kidnap her. All they have to do is guard her so she can sign this document. But to make things more complicated and stupid, they're going to have another woman pretend to be her, and she's going to pretend to be not just a regular person, but a karate expert putting on exhibitions around the country with her three luchadors. Yes. It's a great cover story. It worked, uh, and we then see Mill carrying some groceries, fighting some thugs who mm-hmm. steal his watch. Yeah, and this was the moment where I talked about where they really treated them like superheroes. This wasn't one of those movies where one guy starts up with a, with a wrestler. These guys knew it was going to take at least three of them to take on Mill. And they barely beat him. I they mean- do. Mill dispatches them all, and he, he finally – uh, turns his back and and jobs to a, a double axe handle. Yeah. Uh, but he definitely uh, makes pretty quick work of them. And I and I do like the fact that they 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 do show how imposing these guys were, and and they and they respect the wrestler. So after he's knocked out, we then next time we see him, it's without his mask from the back. Yeah. We see the back of Mil Mascaris's head. And there's a woman, and he's like, hey, isn't your husband coming home? And she's like, no, I'm single. And so she is nursing him back to health. How else do you do that but with some gin? Oh, yeah. She's pouring him a stiff drink that's making him better. So then he makes out with her, and she's like, I have two friends. And he's like, I got two friends, too. Let's all get together. (laughs) And and this whole time he's sitting in a recliner, actually, and fully reclined as well. That's right. Well, he's recovering. He needs yeah. he needs a drink and he needs to put his legs up. So uh, so then he puts his mask back on. Doesn't seem bothered by the fact that she saw him without the mask. And it really doesn't play into the movie at all. I, I don't know what the reason for doing it was. But yeah, whatever. We see those three thugs again. We see her and two other girls. And then we see the head bad guy. Yeah. And this guy, he's got probably the best villain voice you could hope for in a movie. He really does. He's fantastic. And he's got sort of like a G. Gordon Liddy thing going on. He does. I definitely see that. I, I wrote on my notes, he looked like a cross between Dr. Mindbender from G.I. Joe. Yes. And Superstar Billy Graham when he had the karate gimmick. Yes. I don't know if a lot of you remember this, but go on YouTube and look for it. Superstar Billy Graham at one point left and came back as Billy Graham karate expert. And he had this mustache and the bald head and he lost a lot of weight and he looked like this. Um, then, So he's got a big plan and he's going to kill the princess. I mean, there's really not much to worry about. We've got three things going on in this movie. We have luchadors protecting the princess. We have Dr. Mindbender trying to kill the princess. And we have a periscope that comes out of the water and causes storms to happen. <laughs> the girls meet up with the luchas at the Padre South Hotel. And I looked this up. It's located in Texas. A lot of this was filmed in Texas. And this is at 1500 Gulf Boulevard on San Padre Island, Texas. And it looks so much the same now. Mm-hmm. It was remarkable. The exterior of the hotel looks the same. The sign on the hotel at first I thought was exactly the same, but it's been modified, you know, replaced at some point, but it looks very similar. And then I panned around and looked at all the buildings nearby. Most of them don't look the same. There's a vacant lot across the street that in the in the 70s had an actual building there. I don't know what it was, but it's since been torn down. So a lot of this area has changed, but this building has stood there like a rock. That's great. I, and I can't imagine the decor is the same on the inside or else yeah. there wouldn't have been so many cars in the parking lot uh, in the in the Google Earth Street view I looked at. But it looks very much the same. 
Yeah. And we get an interesting line here with the, uh, the girl that, um, Santo is paired up with. She asks him if he's married and he says, not yet. <laughs> yeah. He's way into her. That is, yeah. that's the love connection for this movie. Yeah. But I mean, I, I didn't do the math, but Santo was, 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 was getting up there in years at this point. <laughs> yes, he was. This is one of his final films. Uh, he did, this was his final one that he, really was the star in and this was this was the final film that the three did together and he was he was an older man at this point uh again you know he died just uh you know six years after this movie came out Mm -hmm. so they all pair off they go up you know they separate and they all drink um they all drink and you know hang out together with the ladies but we just see santo we see santo and this girl and she tells him about how uh her father's missing and then all of a sudden she she drugs him. She mm. gives him a drink and and it's like some kind of truth serum and he's got to tell her the truth. Yeah. Then the guys in the shiny suits appear. <laughs> they and appear. then they and they disappear. But they disappear out the back door and into a car. <laughs> well, no, no, the first time they appear is in the hotel room. They yeah. appear for a second and then all of a sudden the other luchas appear and so they disappear. They disappear into thin air. So you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute. These guys aren't of this earth." Oh, okay. So that's the first time. The second time we see them, they disappear into their car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they all go to the luchas are like, we need to go to the gym. Come on, you need to train. And Santa's like, I don't want to train. And they're like, you got to train. Then we'll have dinner. So the girls watch them train. And then these two shiny guys show up again. And the luchas can't fight them off because the thugs are also there. There's yeah. thugs and shiny guys. It's too much. It's too much for any luchador to handle. <laughs> it is. So they're there to kidnap Rena. This is the woman who told them, uh, told Santo her father's been kidnapped. And so they take her away. Uh, eventually, they take her to an underwater kingdom, Craig. <laughs> Tell me about this underwater kingdom. It really is the MacGuffin of the movie. Um, but it's it's a, a place where there is a, a race of people who have created the perfect society Under- uh, underwater. It looks very much like our planet, grass yes. and buildings. And sun. They have their own sun underwater because yeah. we can see the sun reflected on things. Uh-huh. They have, and this wind. Is wh- they have yeah. wind underwater. Yeah. And this is where all of the great scientific minds or just all around good people go to, uh, to spend um, eternity. Right. And spoiler, I believe the luchas end up there, too. So this yes, uh, this is the place to go if you don't want to be on the earth. You want to be in the underwater kingdom. Yeah, but they kind of you... sit around on lawn furniture all day. I mean, yeah. there's not much going on down there, it looks like. Yeah. And once you get there, you, you can't go back. And much like Cocoon, you never grow old and you never die. You never grow any older and you're never going to die. And they didn't have to deal with Steve Gutenberg, at least. We do get a good car chase here. We get a boat chase. Mm-hmm. We get the, the periscope stopping the boat, I guess, causing the water to go the other way. And so it's it's reasonable to assume that the periscope is part of the undersea kingdom's stuff. Yeah. So I don't know that it's ever spelled right out. It may have been, and I may have missed it, but I, I, it, it is, it is definitely, uh, there's definitely no reason to believe it's not their fault that all these things are happening with the storms. Oh yeah. So, uh, we see the, the, the princess is there, you know, she's doing her karate. And then we see the other woman who's not the princess get murdered. Yeah. And 
God, it was a, a violent, a violent scene for a movie like this. Yeah, I mean, she's sitting there reading her Bible, which yeah. I got to tell you, I, I always do this when I go to a hotel room and you realize you didn't bring anything and they always yeah. have the Bible in the drawer. You know, mm-hmm. she just, that's probably what happened. They didn't give her anything because, you know, they thought she was the princess. Yeah. And so she, you know, knew she wasn't the princess. So she got the Bible out, reading the Bible. All of a sudden, this guy comes in and stabs her right in the chest. Goodness. Very, just very out of, it was, it was shocking. Even, even though you knew it was coming or it had the threat of it was coming. Isn't but this the still. plot of uh, the first Star Wars prequel? <laughs> yes, including the doubles. Yeah, George Lucas. Yeah. George Lucas has some explaining to do. Yeah, and there's the Undersea Kingdom. Isn't that where Jar Jar was from? Or didn't they yes, the Gungans. Yeah, I'm done. hold on a minute. <laughs> hold the phone. There's some theft here. <laughs> yes. So the bad guy uh, gets chased away. He's in a helicopter, and then she's like, "I'm going to go sign that treaty." And so she mm-hmm. goes to sign it in this really cool-looking, you know, shag carpeting den. Mm-hmm. She goes to sign it, and just as the pen is about to hit the paper, we get a big shootout, and every and the the luchadors mm-hmm. can't get hit by bullets. They turn their back to the bullets, yep. and they don't show the bullets bounce off them. But I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It had to have because there are uh, at least four or five other men in the room witnessing the, the – They're the, all dead. They all get wiped out. Yeah. The ones that survive are the luchadors and the princess, and that's only because one of the luchadors, I think it's Santo, covers her. So yeah, boxes are in, yeah. They, their, their lucha strong bodies bounce the bullets off of them. Mm-hmm. So they go out and they all get into their convertibles. <laughs> There's three convertibles, one for each lucha. I, and I got to say that this is – it's one of the greatest sights you'll ever see in 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 a, in a movie is you know three luchadors getting into their cars and driving away. I I can't even explain it uh, and do it any kind of justice. Mil Mascaris has a gold Mercedes. El Santo has a blue Cadillac, and Blue Demon has a red Corvette Stingray. Now, oh man! I know you're thinking, why doesn't he have the blue Cadillac? You know. That'd be overdone. He's, you can't go that way. He's got to go with the red Corvette Stingray. Or so, Santo really wanted the caddy. It might have been. <laughs> so they they go on this chase. They then get there, and the guy throws grenades at them. Yeah. I love this. Oh. They're just like they come a little closer. Guy throws another grenade. I mean, this was, you know, I remember in the 1980s, you know, the, the early 80s, that grenades were a big deal. Was, oh yeah, you know we, we as a kid you'd get the water water balloon grenade and you'd get the grenade that you could put caps into and if you dropped it just right the cap would go off. Grenades were really really cool around this time, so mm-hmm. this was a cool fight. Yeah, oh yeah. So we get some fist fights, we get some gun fights, then we get Mil Mascaris eating bananas. <laughs> yeah. And they walk by and he's just sitting on the floor eating bananas and they're like. uh uh, you know, what happened? And he's like, you want a banana? And they're like, yeah. don't be silly. And then they all get back in. But meanwhile, the mm-hmm. bad guy, the, the, the evil looking superstar, Billy Graham, karate King shows up to fight the princess yeah. and they yeah. have a knife versus karate fight. Yeah. And this was after he was apparently, uh, they arrested another gentleman that looked like him. Yes. Well, so everybody thought everything was safe. And I will say one thing about this guy. He doesn't mind doing his own dirty work. Mm-hmm. This guy's getting his hands dirty. He's oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he gives the orders and he executes the orders. 
for a guy with a lot of thugs, he's yeah. really down on the, you know, he's, he's on the ground floor, just, you know, combating, getting things done, you know, getting his hands dirty, rolling up his sleeves. I mean, this guy's, you know, turning the crank and starting the engine. Yeah. You got to admire that in a bad guy. Yeah. And the knife versus karate doesn't go so well for the bad guy. So it, it, it then turns into another kind of fight. <laughs> yes. We get stick versus karate. <laughs> <laughs> which also doesn't go well. But then eventually we get Lucha versus bad guy. Yeah. Lucha versus bad guy is a combination that the bad guy will never win. And yeah. so he's taken out. Rena and the dad are united in the Captain EO world of shiny headbands. Yeah, and she is not happy. No, she misses El Santo. Yeah. And El Santo knew that she was the only one of those girls that was good and pure of heart. Yes, under hypnosis, yes. So... The princess signs the treaty, and they're like, all right, now we're going to go have a holiday on the beach. And then they're like, princess, you got to go do something else that will be dangerous. And she's <laughs> like, hmm, I need three bodyguards. Yep. And then Mil Mascaris is like, no, no holiday on the beach. So they have to get on the boat with them. But then, and this is shocking, this <laughs> is a shocking turn of events. Yes. The movie ends with that periscope coming back up. Uh-huh. Weather hitting. And then we see those fishermen. So now we're back into real time. And he's like, you know, they were never seen again until we pulled this mask out of the water. So now we're saying, oh, my God, the, their ship yeah. went down, you know, with the periscope. But then we're thinking, well, maybe it went to the undersea village. But we're yes. like, hey, they'll never be on the earth again. And then we get a mushroom cloud. <laughs> yeah. The, he gives a huge speech about how we're we're nearing the end of days. And yeah, he's like, if there's no luchadors, this is the end of days. Yeah, and then it ends, like you said, with a mushroom cloud. Now, I have had a theory for years, and, and you know this, Craig, but a lot of people haven't heard me express this. But I've always believed that when you watch a movie, let's say you go and you go see Jurassic Park. At the end of Jurassic Park, they get saved. The ship comes and it takes them, you know, it's like the plane comes or helicopter and takes them off the island. And they go home. But what do you wonder? In the audience, part of you says, I wonder what it was like when they got home. You know, did they tell everybody? Did people believe them? Oh my God. What do they do with the island? Do they, do they go in and kill the dinosaurs? Do they let the dinosaurs live? And so we get like a sequel. And this is true of every movie. I don't care whether it's, you know, if it's, uh, you know, the end of, of, uh, my big fat Greek wedding. You know, you see the, you see the two of them, they go home and they're living next door to the parents and they've got their house, but you're like, do they have kids? Are they, how long are they going to live? Does the dad live a long time or is he going to die soon? Oh God, I hope he doesn't die soon. Hope he lives a long life. What about the husband? Are they going to stay together? I want to know if they stay together. Mushroom cloud eliminates all these questions. Yes. (laughs) If every movie ended with a mushroom cloud, you know what happened. Everybody died. That's yep, the end nice... of the movie. It is completely self-contained. You saw the start of the story, and you definitely saw the end of the story. A nice, clean finish. Yes. Now, this film, they, they designed this intentionally, I believe, because this was supposed to be the end of the lucha genre. This mm-hmm. genre of films had become passe. It was really big going back. The earlier ones were black and white, and they would fight against mummies and Frankensteins and mm-hmm. demons, and not blue demon, but yeah. real demons, and, mm-hmm. and they'd fight against zombies and all kinds of other things. And then slowly these films, you know, kept going until I guess the, the culture had kind of rejected him at this point. And so as a big final goodbye, they wrote off all three of these characters. Yeah. It's, that's a gutsy thing to do. Yeah. It's very interesting. Now let's, let's talk about the state of wrestling 
1979, we got some really, really big debuts, and I want to take some time talking about each one of these guys. First, Barry Horowitz debuted in 1979. Yeah. You remember Barry Horowitz? I remember him, I guess, at the end of his career when he was more of an enhancement talent. Yeah, I don't know that he was ever anything more than enhancement (laughs) talent, to be quite honest with you. Do you remember how he used to pat himself on the back? Yes, yes. And I I would have to think back on this and, and look it up. But I recall going to high school with somebody who claimed to have some kind of relation to Barry Horowitz, which seemed very odd because it doesn't seem like something you would make up. Yeah, that that is weird. I got to tell you, very similar story. I remember in the 1990s, maybe even like the end of the 90s, my brother was like, oh, my God, my friend knows the guy who was doink. And I'm like, really? So, you know, and I was like, is it Matt Bloom? And he was like, no, that's not his name. And I was like, well, then it's not. It's even less impressive. You know, it's not even the original doink. It's a doink. Uh, I don't know. Barry Horowitz. So you so you think you knew somebody that knew someone. Did you pat that guy on the back? And then it was like you you, you got the pat. You pat his back. He pats the other back. And then Barry pats his own back. And it's just like, you know, it's almost like, you know, the handshake through history. You know, you ever hear that theory that if you shake hands with the president, every president conceivably has shook hands with the previous president? Yes. So presumably i'm not sure that that holds up because i there's a few assassinations there that there may not have been some handshakes but i guess so i don't know who knows i i I don't know when the handshake came around but i guess so i guess all those guys have shaken hands shook hands one another yeah be the pat the pat on the back the pat on the back the pat (laughs) on the back i don't know it looks like barry horowitz uh has uh is is spent most of his his career or (laughs) on his back his 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 pre career uh in Florida. So so I'm not sure if I was being worked or not. Oh, okay. I thought you were just gonna say he spent his career on his back because he did. <laughs> Counting those lights. He was a he was a jobber. Uh, another great debut though, nineteen seventy nine mm-hmm. was the debut of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. I mean, this guy's phenomenal. Yeah, he was the the powerhouse of the uh, you know, what would later be the the Hart Foundation tag team with with Bret Hart, and he's actually now married to uh, one of Brett's sisters, and he's also uh, the father of Natty Nightheart. Did this weird you out as a kid that it was a tag team? It was Bret Hart, Jimmy Hart, you know, was the manager, mm-hmm. the mouth of the South, and then Jim the Evil Nightheart, and you're just like, wow, how is this possible? And you know, yeah. and are these guys related? And how do you have how do you have Nide in front of Hart? You know, yeah, yeah. I was always really confused by all this. And they didn't look related, although Jimmy and Brett looked like they could have been related. Sure. But it always seemed odd to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, Neidhart is, by marriage, related mm-hmm. to to Brett. Yeah. Great tag team. They were, I mean, they were, you know, for, for Brett, who has such a career as a singles, mm-hmm. he was that was one of the best tag teams you'd ever see. Just two guys that really complemented each other in the ring. Yeah, yeah, it was that you know each guy brought a different a different style to the table, and uh, you know the, the the sum was was greater than the the uh, the parts. Yeah, take two uh, parts separate, not nearly mm-hmm. as good. Although that's not true because I think well, no, because uh, Brett went on to Brett was better without Jim. Yeah, so it's but in terms of tag teams, that's exactly what you want. And all right, I'll accept it. <laughs> and Nightheart was oh. was coming off of a. Um, 
I think he had an amateur or even a pro football background. Yeah, I believe he did. I believe uh-huh. he, did. he was. Uh, and I mean, he's a guy who certainly looks like he was. There's a great interview I saw. It was a shoot interview with the two of them. And they talk about their whole career. But early on, Jim's shirt rides up just a little bit. Oh. A little bit above the belt buckle. And you see just a little sliver of that pink Jim the Envernard Hart belly. <laughs> And and Brett, on the other hand, was doing that thing that, you know, like a lot of guys, when I was growing up, you'd go to like your friend's house when you're like 12. A lot of guys' dads would do this as they watch TV. Just just cup, just put your hand <laughs> yeah. right in the groin and just cup everything. Just like, they're, I don't know, they're protecting it. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe, it's, maybe it's just a comfortable spot to put your hand. Mm-hmm. And so for the whole interview, Brett has his hand down there just holding his, holding his privates. Yeah. And, uh, and Jim is leaning back with that little, little pink belly poking out <laughs> saying, hello, hello, I'm Jim's belly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sadly, he's had a little bit of a, a, a in the last couple of years, I, I guess he had some run-ins with the law with, uh, yeah. Were they DWIs or? No, oh, he wanted, he had like, a, he was stealing medication from his neighbor. Hey. He had more than one, but I know he had one where he's breaking in to his neighbor's house, who was his friend, which is how he could get in. Yeah. Stealing pills. And the neighbor only figured it out because they noticed like, you know, just individual pills were disappearing. And so they called the police and then the police investigated with a camera and found, you see, Jim, he got to like, he goes in, unscrews the bottle, pours a couple pills out, pulls his goatee and goes, ha, 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 and then sneaks out the front door. Yeah. Uh, another, have, good, another good one that debuted that year was the Honky Tonk Man. Let me tell you my favorite Honky Tonk Man moment. And Please. It was at, it was at a SummerSlam, and, and you, you will probably know the SummerSlam it was at, but it was Honky Tonk Man uh, with, with Jimmy Hart versus Dusty Rhodes in his polka dot gimmick. Okay. And... Dusty Rhodes gets a hold of the the guitar, and Holy he hits Honky Tonk Man with a guitar that I swear was not a gimmick guitar. Oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, this was the one where he hit him, and I mean, this put him out. I mean, this was yeah. the hardest hit. SummerSlam 1989. Okay, and and, uh, and actually, I, I believe he had a real concussion. Remember, he talked to like um, I think it was ringside. They're dragging him out. Yeah, Lord Alfred's like. How, how do you feel? And he's like, ah, Peggy Sue, going to go see Peggy Sue, and gives an interview that you could tell was honky trying really hard to sound like he was unconscious, yeah. and he was half unconscious. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if there wasn't supposed to be a guitar spot or they just didn't grab the gimmick guitar or I, I there was a certain – exactly what it is. I think there's a spot on that guitar. That yeah, you the sweet with. spot. And Dusty was a couple inches north of that spot, and he was closer to the handle yeah. of the car and, and closer to the – on the backside, closer to the top. And so it's, you know, a little, little firmer there. Didn't want to didn't want to give. Yeah. Oh, man, that is a – they used to – I think they put powder inside the guitar, so when it would hit, it would kind of explode. Yeah, which you didn't even need with that Dusty hit. Well, I mean, that is – I've watched that within the last couple of years, and I – I'm not no lie. I probably reversed it and watched it five <laughs> times in a row. All right. So Kurt Hennig, also Mr. Perfect, very yeah. famous wrestler. His son was born this year. So he debuted in 1979 and his son, Michael McGillicuddy, whose real name is Joe Hennig. Mm-hmm. He was born 1979, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, David Flair was born this year. <laughs> Who was not did not follow well into Daddy's footsteps. 
No, although he he does have a list of accomplishments in WCW. Yeah, my God. Remember him with the teddy bear? (laughs) He goes psychotic on a teddy bear. And poor, uh, I I hate to say poor Tony Schiavone, but Tony (laughs) Schiavone has to sell this. Oh, my goodness. It's a great moment if if you can find it. Mickey James also born this year, uh, former WWE talent and current, uh, I believe she's current WC or um, WCW TNA, TNA talent. Is she still under contract with them to the best of your knowledge? To the best of my knowledge, she's still doing that hardcore country gimmick. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know she, she wanted to break away and do some real country music and she's tried, I I guess, you know, she didn't light things up as much as she'd like. Um, and so she's had to stick to, 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 to what brought her to the table. Yeah. Um, but uh, she she debuted then, or debuted. She was well. Born. She, she did make her debut. Yeah, made her debut on the Earth. <laughs> and uh, Melina, Melina also born that year. And Samoa Joe, yeah, TNA superstar, was born the same year that Mystery in Bermuda came out. So, what are your thoughts on this as a film, Craig? What are your thoughts overall on the feel of this? I, I Mystery in Bermuda. Like most luchador films, for me, it really feels like a movie you put on late night on Saturday and you know exactly what you're going to get. And it almost feels like the B plot of a Godzilla movie. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, totally see it, that. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine that you go into one of these movies expecting anything else. Um, I, I will say that, you know, it's by no means a well made film. But it, they're a heck of a lot of fun, and just seeing luchadors in everyday life having outrageous adventures, it just does it for me. And I can't imagine that there'll be a lucha film that I'll watch in the future that I won't enjoy. Yeah, it is It is definitely enjoyable. I got to tell you, as I'm watching it again, I had seen this film a couple times. I would mm-hmm. say this is probably my third or fourth viewing And as I'm watching it this time, I'm taking notes because I want to write down each scene. And when I get to things like early on, when I see those political guys and they're in the room and they say, oh, well, you know, she'll be undercover and she'll be doing karate demonstrations. (laughs) I'm writing this down. I'm like, really? Do I have the right subtitles up? I don't remember this. You know, and then later you see her give the karate demonstration for like 15 people. Very, very odd. I mean, there are so many moments in this movie like that where you don't. You don't need the plot. The plot is secondary and you kind of just sit in your chair and the movie just washes over top of you. Yeah. Yeah. There was no moment in this movie where you had any kind of lull. There's a lot of moments where you look up at the screen and you're like, oh, my God, they're on a boat. They're on a speedboat. All three of them. And they've all got their masks on. I mean, there's some good chase moments. You know, the car chase that they have. The first one, they have one where they're all in, you know, there's there's two cars, you know, chasing mm-hmm. after the guys with the shiny headbands from the Undersea Kingdom. And then later there's the scene where they all get into their own specialty car. Yeah. And these car chases are great. There's nothing mm-hmm. special in them. The cars aren't flipping over. This yeah. is not Blues Brothers, you know, or Smokey and the Bandit. We're not yeah. seeing, you know, cars crash. We're just seeing guys drive fast and other guys drive faster. <laughs> Yes. That's it. It's all we're seeing. And we get boat chases and all kinds of other just yeah. looniness and all of it done with these masks on. One thing that I thought was odd was there's only one match in this movie. Yeah, and it's front-loaded, too. I, I, I definitely expected there to be um, a lot more wrestling in this movie considering, you know, the setup and that they were in Bermuda 
to put on presentations, as exactly. they call them. What about – I love the fact that, that Mill Mascaras buys his own groceries. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he, he bought enough to carry under each arm, which yeah, I never that. seem to, to, to get – I can never work that right. Yeah, yeah. I mean – He's got he's he's got it balanced out good, and you got to assume that those guys are eating well. They're training, they're drinking a lot of booze, but I think there's a lot of fresh food in the bag. I did see like a big French roll, a big yeah. and a big long, you know, a, a loaf of French bread, mm-hmm. you know, in there, or it could be Italian bread. Depends on how wide it is. That apparently mm-hmm. is the only it, you, that's the only difference, right? Yeah, your French bread is narrow. Your Italian yeah. bread is wide. Yes. The actual makeup of the bread, identical. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always thought that was the case. Are you verifying this or are you saying you think that's the case? Hey, you know what? I'm not a a, a, a bread expert by any means, but um I will uh You'll we can make this a, we can make this official. Man. Have you ever have you ever tried to like you, you get like a, a big loaf of Italian bread and you're gonna chop off a piece and put a hot dog in it and then you realize you need like six hot dogs <laughs> and then you can't get through it because it's absurd? I will be doing that as soon as we are done with this recording. <laughs> hey, hey, so I know um, this was pretty much the end of the Lucha film, but by no means was it the end of Luchadors um, in popular culture or in film even. Uh, as recently as, what, the, the last five years, there was uh, Rey Mysterio Sr. Um, oh, yes, WrestleManiac. WrestleManiac. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that obviously, all right, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. I don't know that everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Ray Mysterio Jr. is not Ray Mysterio Sr.'s son. Yeah, it's kind Ray of Mysterio, like a Guerrero thing. Yeah. Ray mm-hmm. Mysterio Sr. is the the guy that was born with that name, although he probably wasn't either because Mysterio yeah. means mystery. So I think it's a fake name for him, too. But mm-hmm. the the original Ray Mysterio is his uncle, his father, a good man. Who yeah. I believe, you know, raised him and, and trained him, but didn't have as big of a name as his uncle. So he took his uncle's name. I don't know if the uncle had any children. It's all convoluted. But yeah. Lucha Films, for a while after this, uh, Santo did a few more. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mill ever did another one. I think Blue Demon, uh, I don't think Blue Demon, he may have had one or two cameos yeah. after this. But this was really it. It ended. Yeah. I mean, you got yeah. a mushroom cloud at the end of this. Mm-hmm. But you can actually, uh, you can still see, um, Blue Demon wrestling today. I, I believe it's, it's another case where it's his, his nephew. Yeah. It's, it's, it's either that or his son, but it is a, it's a family member or who knows? It's somebody that's claiming to be a family member. You never know. Yeah. Uh, and one other thing that's interesting is earlier in the episode, we mentioned, uh, Alberto Del Rio, mm-hmm. uh, son of a, a luchador. And he actually, when he competed in MMA, he actually yes. wore a lucha mask. Yeah. Well, he was Dos Carras Jr. His okay. dad's Dos Carras, very famous Mexican wrestler, uh, Mil Mascaris' brother. And when he wrestled, you know, as a wrestler, up until he came to WWE, he had a mask. Mm-hmm. And when WWE debuted him, for, for whatever reason, they decided mm-hmm. to take the mask off. And the first time I saw him, I said, Ah, I yep. see why this man's face needs to be out there. This man's got facial expressions that we need to see. Yeah, and- it's amazing that he wrestled under a mask or competed under a mask prior to that because he really when he came to WWE, um he was he was ready, you know yeah. what I mean? And this you guy's know- doing it, facial expressions in yeah. the ring that are fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's this guy's story. Me. 
So when he started, he, he was a, you know, a luchador and then he went into MMA and he competed very well. He has a, a decent record in yeah. MMA, but he would have to wear a mask in MMA. So he had like this weird kind of half mask that just covered part of his face. I think it was just a matter of saying, look, I can't not have the mask or else yeah. I can't wrestle with the mask tomorrow. So I need to have. At least half yeah. of a mask. It was almost like a sort of like a, a cowl type thing, like almost a Batman thing, but without the ears. Right. And it just and, and kind of had a little Vader going on. So it kind of <laughs> had like the straps that ran around the head. Now, would you consider Vader a, a, a luchador? luchador. <laughs> no. But Vader is one of the greatest mass wrestlers of all time. Yeah. I wonder how many people in South Padre Island, Texas know that that movie was shot there. I always wonder this when yeah. you see a movie that, you know, did the people know that there were these crazy luchadors running around their town in 1979 filming yeah. this bizarre movie? You know what I mean? Like your house could be in this movie and you yeah. might not even know it. Yeah. Or if you do. You just don't know what movie it is. There's probably some locals that say, yeah, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, there was a film crew here with some Mexican wrestlers, and no, yeah. that's all I can tell you. No, you know it's a guy going, no, they had some kind of Batman. They had, like, Silver <laughs> Batman, and, and they're like, Silver Surfer? He's like, yeah, Silver Surfer, and they had another man. You know, I mean, this this movie yeah. was too crazy for anybody to know. But yeah, that I should call up the uh, the the hotel, the Padre South Hotel, and ask if I can have the Blue Demon room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Craig, it's time for the all important question. Please tell me, did you tap out to Mystery in Bermuda? I will say this: it would not be um, an insult by any means to tap to any one of the luchadors in this movie. It would be an honor, actually, but I did not tap to Mystery in Bermuda. All right. Let me tell you about this. I had to think of this in terms of a couple different things. First thing, I've seen a lot of luchador films. This is one of the first I ever saw. I bought this DVD set twice. The first DVD set was not this fancy version with subtitles. It was another version that had no subtitles. And it had these two movies, no subtitles, and I watched this movie without subtitles, and I was annoyed because I didn't understand a thing that was going on. I didn't know who was good, who was bad, why El Santo was talking, you know, lying back in the chair, while why Mil Mascaris took his mask off. And so I got a friend of mine that worked at a, at a video store to shrink wrap it so I could return it with the receipt and say that I never opened it. <laughs> so I I didn't understand it. And then when this set came out, I watched it with the subtitles and I loved it. And then after that, I found the Santo collection, which has some great Santo movies. And this has some with Blue Demon and Santo, some with just Santo. And I accumulated a lot of these and I watched so many that they kind of ran together. And some of them, you've got like Blue Demon, you know, verse, you know, like it's like Dr. Frankenstein. And these always have titles that are far more complicated. They're like, Blue Demon and El Santo Contra de uh, Doctorio Frankensteino, uh, yeah. which is terrible. Probably I said something offensive. At some point in there is probably in some language I, I, I swore at somebody's mother. But the point is that they had these, you know, these really great stories that, you know, as far as monster movies go, were really good movies and were better in a lot of ways than Mystery in Bermuda. Mystery in Bermuda is at its heart, it's a superhero film and somewhat of a spy caper. 
You know, it's, it's somewhat of a James Bond type story. And so compared to a lot of those, it's not, it's not great, but it is in color. And it's a very colorful movie. A lot of those other ones are black and white. And while in general, you're never going to hear me say, oh, gee, it's in black and white. It's no good. These movies, I think, thrive on the color. That's why they don't get into three silver cars. They get into a gold car, a red car, and a blue car. These movies really work well in color. And this film looks good. It's a very nice location with the exception of the Captain EO Undersea Kingdom, which doesn't look like an undersea kingdom in any way. It doesn't look foreign or out there in any way. It doesn't look otherworldly. It looks like you're in Texas. But giving that up, I will tell you, if you have never seen a Lucha film, you should see this. If you've never seen... Anything like this, you should see this. If you like fantastical, fun movies, you should watch this. And I'm going to say this. You got to watch it twice because there's a lot going on. And I do think you have to read the subtitles. I've heard of people that say, oh, you just look at the crazy visuals and you don't have to read it. I think you got to read it. As crazy as the storyline is, you got to know who's good, who's bad. And they twist it a lot of times. Oh, yeah. A lot of, you know, we see Rena go from from bad to good and then to good again, Mm -hmm. but a different kind of good. I mean, there is a lot of twists and turns. That being said. My final verdict on this film is I did not tap out. I love mystery in Bermuda. It has its faults as far as Lucha films go, but any Lucha film is better than just about any other type of film you'll ever find. So no, no, no. I, I say, I don't say, uh, see, I tapped out. I say, no, I did not tap out to mystery in Bermuda. And one other thing to point out is it's not a huge commitment either. Uh, the DVD box says it's 89 minutes. It actually runs an hour and 16. Wow. Wow. So this is a really, really short film. This film yeah. blows by. And I got to tell you this. The match that they have is very long. If you're short on time and you want a movie that's an hour long, when they get in the ring, just hit the skip button. <laughs> yeah. At the end of that match, boom. Yeah. You're you're moving along. So it's a great movie. Available on DVD. You can probably find it out there. This DVD set is so worth it because you get yeah. Champions of Justice, which we shall talk about sometime in the future. So that's it. It's been a fantastic discussion, Craig. I appreciate you joining me on this one. Thank you and adios. <laughs> we will see you next time here on Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that either star wrestlers or feature wrestling in the plot. We will see you next time. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's I smell? Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a man from you!